employee development, it sounds like something only large organizations can afford, but ironically, it's the smaller organizations that have employees wearing multiple hats in mission-critical areas that can't afford not to do it. Now, if you're wondering how, stay tuned and hear what Haleli Azulai, author of Employee Development on a Shoestring, has to say. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO, LLC. Haleli Azulai helps companies experiencing explosive growth or expansion build leaders to help support that growth. She does it through her consulting company, Talent Grow LLC, where she specializes in people leadership skills, including communication skills, team building, coaching, and emotional intelligence. That's a big one. Talent Grow works with all organizational levels, including C-level leaders, frontline managers, and individual contributors. It's client list reads like a who's who and includes Price Waterhouse Coopers, Booz Allen Hamilton, the World Bank, and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, just to name a few. Haleli is a sought-after speaker and author of two books, the most recent being Employee Development on a Shoestring. I love that title. But both of her books and workshops are built on her over 20-plus years of professional experience in communication and leadership development for corporate, government, nonprofit, and academic organizations. So I am very jazzed to have her here with us today. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Haleli. Thank you very much, Hannah. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Well, I am excited to have you because as someone who works in the talent development area, you know, the concept of employee development is second nature to you. But I have a feeling that for some of our listeners, especially the entrepreneurs and smaller business owners, they might hear that phrase and feel like employee development is some path to a guaranteed promotion. And if they don't have such positions available in the near future, they might not even be inclined to think about employee development. So let's start at the beginning so that we all have the same understanding of what employee development is. What does it mean to you? What is employee development? Well, if you are working for someone else, or actually even if you are working for yourself, you need to keep yourself always developing. You always have new things to to learn, new skills, new knowledge, new technologies. There's always new things to learn. And if you don't, you become stagnant or stale. So if you have employees, you want to make sure that you continually offer them opportunities for them to grow their skill sets, their knowledge, their expertise. It's not only something that benefits the organization because your employees are always on the cutting edge and have fresh, updated skills, but it's also something that helps a great deal. And I have a feeling we might talk about this some more uh, for employee morale and for retention purposes. Yeah, let's follow up on that retention thing, because I'm sure you've heard this one a thousand times. Well, if I, you know, send them to this course, then they're just going to leave and and work for my competitor. Well, what can we do about retention? Yeah, so, well, and I'd like to just back up one bit and say that by describing employee development as helping your employees build their skills and knowledge, what that it could include workshops and seminars and training, but it doesn't only mean that. So one of the things that I describe in my book is, in fact, a lot of times 
training is not the only way to develop skills and there's lots and lots of other ways to help people keep growing. So I just want to make sure that I address that before we go any further so that people have the right concept in mind as we talk about this concept of developing people. Now, to answer your question about retention, I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind when we think about this. The first one is the last thing that's going to help you keep good people is to try to keep them down. It, it's, it feels scary to grow them, to develop them, to allow them to flourish because there is always a chance that they will go elsewhere. But let's be realistic. When someone feels like their employer does not take care of their needs, does not help them be the best version of themselves, does not help them develop their skills and wants to just keep them in a tight box with the lid on, that's the last thing that's going to keep them retained. And what's that, what's that going to do? I mean, that's just going to keep them working for you as long as they're desperate to work for you and constantly scanning for new opportunities. So it's kind of counterintuitive maybe when you think about it on, on the surface level, but it makes a lot of sense when you recognize that by trying to prevent them from growing, you're going to guarantee they're going to leave. Now, you mentioned a minute ago that there's more than just workshops and seminars. And I love the title of your book about employee development on a shoestring. Let's talk about some of those other ways that especially smaller organizations can help on that growth curve, keep employees engaged, and hopefully feeling like they're flourishing and helping to be the best version of themselves professionally. Yeah, because that's the kind of people you want working for you, right? People that are just jazzed up and energized and feeling really good about themselves and their skills. So, yeah, big organizations can maybe afford to have a big training department and maybe even in-house trainers or maybe a big budget and they can pull off, you know, the training catalog that you get in the mail and they can send people to that. And maybe with a smaller company, you can't do that. But even if you could, let's just imagine I mean, how, how often can you really do that, right? Even big companies have a limit on how much money they're going to spend on sending someone to a training class and or how much time they can allow that person to be away from their job to learn. So it's really not realistic to rely on training and seminars as the main or the only vehicle for learning. Plus, Things are changing constantly, and there's lots of times when people recognize that there's some kind of a gap in their knowledge, or there's a new competency or skill that they need to build, or you realize that about them. The least uh, practical thing to do is to say, well, you know, there is a workshop on this. It's in six months in Phoenix, in Vegas, and wherever, and send them. Like, you, No, we need just-in-time learning. We need to help people learn what they need now to function in their job now. And everyone has a much smaller appetite for waiting to learn. So in my book, I described 11 different methods. And I think a lot of them, if not all of them, can apply to companies with any budget or no budget. And that's in part why I called the book Employee Development on a Shoestring, because it's not the money that's going to make or break your ability to develop people. So I can start giving you some examples, if you'd like, of those methods. Does well, that sound I'll tell good? you what, let's, let's talk about the yeah. top, top two or three that you like that are low budget or no budget. <laughs> I'm sure people would appreciate okay. that because that, that really lets them have a win-win all the way around. Absolutely. So I will. And, you know, top 
one of the things that I talk about in the book and to anyone who will listen to me actually is that there's no one size fits all. And therefore there isn't really like the best one, the second best one textual. So what I would say is the most important and the best one is going to come. You're going to know what the best method to develop someone when you consider several factors. So you have to think about, okay, what do they need to learn? Where are their skills right now? What is the ideal level that you'd like them to get to or that person wants to get to? Now you understand the gap, right? Now you want to think about, okay, what are some of the constraints that they might have for their job or the organization or budget or timing? Now you can think about how do they learn best, right? Because different people learn in different ways. For example, some people learn really well when there's a lot of reading involved. Some people learn really well when there is listening involved. Some people learn really well when it's hands-on. So the more you understand about the type of learner that that person is and how they learn best, the more that you can tailor the approach you take to all of those contextual needs. You can also think about, do they need to just know something or do they need to be able to actually do it? Or do they need to change their beliefs or attitudes about something? Those might stipulate different kinds of learning methods that will fit better for what that employee needs. So when I, when I describe a couple of these methods, they're not really the top ones because that's going to just matter um, to each employee in their specific situation. And that's cool because it gives companies a lot of freedom to approach employee development with great variety and lots and lots of opportunities. So one of the things that's most obvious, and I'm not going to tell anyone something that they've never even thought about before, but it's like a reminder, oh yeah, is self-directed learning. And self-directed learning just means that the person has something that they're trying to learn, they recognize what their development goal is, and they find a method that allows them to approach that learning on their own terms, in their own time, without a person guiding them. So um, <clears throat> that might include reading, obviously, but it also might include uh, having certain conversations with people. It might include watching videos like on YouTube, Vimeo, and, you know, a million different ways and other sources that are available now for free. And it might include listening, like listening to this conversation could be a way for someone to, they're, they're learning right now, right? So there's a million podcasts out there and radio shows and lots of recorded audio that someone could listen to on very specific topics to learn. So self-directed learning is a really great opportunity for someone to learn. And even just like when you think about people who walk around in the museum, you know, and, and they look at different um, displays and exhibits and they understand more about whatever it is that the museum is for. I mean, that's just an example of self-directed learning. You know, you walk around, sometimes you might even have the guided, guided audio, but you're learning on your own. So it seems kind of obvious, but we got to make sure that people remember that this is something that is so readily available. There are so many different variations out there. And for many employees, this is great. So a quick, specific, concrete example. Let's say you have an employee um, that you want to help that person learn better communication skills, let's say. Maybe, let's be specific. Maybe you want them to learn more about how to be more persuasive in their communication. Right? Maybe they're writing copy for your website or for new newsletters, or, or maybe they're a salesperson. So there are, there are a gazillion books and podcasts and videos that are about these topics. And if you chose self-directed learning, you could work with that employee. I would say involve them in creating the learning program for themselves, but talk to them as their manager and say, well, what's your, how do you like to learn? What are some of the resources? Here are some ideas that I have. Go research. Now, let's create a timeline. You're going to read 
these three books. By when are you going to read them? Now, let's set up a meeting. Each time you finish reading the book, you're going to come back to me and you're going to give me an update, a book report about what are the top three, top 10 or, you know, whatever. What are the things you learned from that book? And then let's plan how you can apply those, right? So I'm talking really fast and I'm giving very broad stroke examples of something that anyone can do on any budget and it can be tailored to almost any learner's needs. So that's just self-directed learning. I'm, I'm recognizing that I'm talking a lot, so I wanted to make sure <laughs> I'm going at the, at the, in the direction you wanted me to go, Hannah. And I can go into a second example here. No, you're, you're doing fine. So self-directed learning is certainly something that anybody can accomplish. I guess my question to you as a follow-up is, how much should the managers or the business owner uh, be involved? Because they may say, well, I, I just, I'm not a talent development expert. I, I really don't know. I know that this person needs, you know, X, Y, Z skills, but I'm not sure the best way to have them achieve that learning because, yeah, you're right. There's a gazillion pieces of information on the internet. How do I know which are good? which are credible, yeah. which are reliable, because you can spend a lot of time, you know, watching videos or this, that, and the other and be distracted as opposed to yeah. really learning and extracting valuable information that's really actionable. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the best things is that a lot of content that's available on the internet now is user reviewed, right? So, uh, one of the, the cool things about that is that you can quickly sort the ones that are most popular. You can quickly sort the ones that sell the most. You can quickly read what are some of the comments that people say about what was good about that thing and what was not to help you identify whether it's for you, right? Because somebody might say like, oh my God, it was such the perfect book. It took so long to read and it had 10 examples for everything. And if you hate those kinds of books, now you know. You know they, they describe that in the review and now you know, and then maybe there's another book and the person says, what I love about this book is it doesn't have any of those stories. It just gets to the meat and potatoes of the matter and it gives you a lot of checklists and sort of uh, boils it down to the nitty gritty and it's really short and fast to read. You know, if this is the kind of book that you like or that person likes, it's easier for you to choose it. So if it has high rate ratings, plus you could kind of sort through some of the best ratings or some of the lowest ratings and see what bothered people about it or what people loved about it, it can help you quickly, relatively quickly, um, tease out maybe the ones that are better for you. Another way to do that is to crowdsource. So that's, this is something I use all the time. And uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine, it, it's not so much about self-directed learning, but a friend of mine uh, whom I interviewed on my podcast for one of my episodes uh, was looking to develop his people management skills. And so what he did is he went on Facebook and wrote, you know, a, a status update to his friend list that said, I'm looking for people that you can tell me were the best or one of the best managers you ever had. Can you connect me with that person? So he's asking his friends to tell him about the people that were one of the best managers that they've ever had and specifically say why. Now he has a list of characteristics that, that these people that he values and, and appreciates thought made a good manager, but he also now has connections to those people, to those managers. He's asking for introductions and he had inter informational interviews with several of those nominated best managers to try to tease out from them what, 
how did they manage? And he had a list of questions. He developed a list of questions, but now he could pursue it. So this is self-directed learning in a really kind of a, a, a combi- combination of, of methods, but he could get that, that crowdsourcing was what I really wanted to exemplify. You could ask people, like, what is your favorite um, podcast about this, you know, or what are some of your favorite books about that? There's many people that you're connected with or that you know, or through your professional association that have gone through a similar journey already. And so instead of reinventing the wheel, there's probably people out there who can shortcut that for you and give you some recommendations, cut down your learning curve and, and give you some things to start with rather than starting with the entire breadth of everything that's out there. Great suggestion. There's nothing like a good shortcut that you can rely on. So besides self-learning, what other method on a shoestring could people employ for talent development, for professional growth of their uh, employees, employee development? Yeah, one of the ones that many people don't think about when it comes to employee development, they think about it in other, in other um, uh, dimensions of it, is volunteering. So we all know about volunteering, but we usually think about it as a way to give of our time and give of our knowledge freely to others, usually through some kind of a, a nonprofit, a community-based organization, a charity, a school, etc. And it's usually thought about in terms of uh, kind of giving to others and the benefits to the others. And I don't want to take away from that, but a lot of times what people don't recognize is that you can leverage that very same experience for your own development. And if you put on a development lens to view that volunteering effort through that lens, then you can actually create a volunteer opportunity that you not only enjoy and not only adds value to the people that you're contributing your time and knowledge to, but that helps you build the knowledge, the skills, the connections, whatever it is that you're trying to build or help the employee do that. Now, before I continue describing this, the biggest caveat about volunteering, and it seems like a a duh factor, is volunteering has to be voluntary. You can't make your employee volunteer, all right? So, but if you help them see what's in it for them and you help create a volunteer opportunity that, opportunity that they like, they're, they're probably going to do it um, very happily and very voluntarily. So having said that, let's just say again that you had that person who you wanted to um, develop their persuasion skills. Well, you could also create an opportunity for them to go and practice and develop their persuasion skills, but instead of doing it on your dime and on your clients and with your products, where if they mess up because they're new at whatever it is, they mess up something that matters to you, they can go and kind of get their feet wet and their hands dirty on someone else's turf. They can do it. Maybe you can give them some pay time to go do that. Let's just say, uh, half a day once a month or a day a quarter or one hour a week or they could do it in the evening or on the weekends on their own time if they agree that it is in their mutual benefit for you and for them that they go do that but that aside now they're going to go and they're going to do some kind of a volunteer job that involves using their persuasion it might involve writing the newsletter for the for the local um, nonprofit. Or they might go to the professional association 
of their industry and go to the local chapter and help them promote their programs. You know, there's so many different opportunities because a lot of these organizations, the nonprofits, the charities, they are run on volunteer fuel. So what that means is they're always looking for people. And it's not like an, uh, a company that is limited by budget and headcount. A volunteer organization can pretty much take on almost limitless numbers of people. If somebody comes to them and says, hey, I want to work for you for free, and this is something that I'm interested in doing, would you like me to help you? They're usually, if they're smart, they're usually going to say yes. And they're usually going to be a lot less choosy and picky about whether you are already qualified, like they would if you were getting a paid job. Because they recognize in a way that beggars can't be choosers, right? It's very hard to find people that are agreeing to work for free. So when you get someone who is eager and willing and has the capacity and the energy and the enthusiasm, but maybe not the best skill set, you're probably going to still take them on. And probably you're going to pair them up with another volunteer who has some more experience to guide them. So that person gets feedback. They get to practice. They get to make some mistakes and learn from them. They get to maybe get some input from others who do know how to do it. And it, it could be in something that is completely related to their job, but it could be in something that's completely unrelated to their job. Again, if you have a development goal and a skill set or a, um, a competency that that person is looking to build, when they have that goal and they go find a volunteer situation that helps them develop that, then they can come back and report and you can create some kind of a tracking mechanism for them and for you to make sure that there isn't scope create or that it is really delivering on the promise, you know, that you're getting the results that you were looking for or making course corrections. Or when do you, when do you ex, uh, extricate yourself from that? Like you've, you're done or you're finished or it's not working, but it's amazing because they can go and build the skills somewhere else. And then they come back to the job with those new skills and the competencies without having spent a dime. I mean, they've spent energy and time and it could be time that you spent that you as the owner have um, paid for. And it could be time that they voluntarily did on their own time. Great suggestions, volunteering, self-directed learning. These are all fabulous ways that people can enhance, improve their skill set, and it has minimal impact on on the business as far as budget costs, but certainly huge impact in terms of the benefit that they get of having a more skilled employee. So those are some great suggestions. I'm wondering in your experience, Haleli, whether there have been misconceptions that you've seen employers have about the value of employee development that hurts them more than it helps them. I think one, as you named it earlier, is that fear that if you if you grow someone, they'll leave you. Um, and I hope that people will stop thinking that way. Another one is that it's something that you do maybe once a year, you know, or, or only when the person comes and is clearly lacking in some skill or they are demanding to be developed. Um, this is something that you, you should have on your radar all the time with all your employees. Studies show that one of the top reasons people leave jobs nowadays is not money. It's not the, uh, the material benefits. It's all, almost always top one or two reasons is that they don't feel like they're growing. They don't feel like they're getting learning opportunities. So 
if you think that this is something that you do in in really uh, specific and limited ways, you're doing it wrong. You need to constantly have conversations with all of your employees one-on-one to talk about what are some of the things that you aspire to do or what are some of the things you'd love to learn or how can I help you in your development journey or what are some of the things that um, you'd like to try to experience and then working with them and within all of the constraints that you might have to find creative outside the box, outside the classroom and on a budget kinds of ways that they could get that need satisfied and then just keep in touch with them. You need to be able to check in and say, well, Hey, how did, how did you like that book? Or how's the volunteer assignment going? Or what did you think about it when you went and, and had a mentoring conversation with this this person you sought out, or how did that special team assignment work out for you? Because that's one another one of the uh, methods that I describe in the book. So need to talk to them regularly in an ongoing way and constantly have this on your radar. Fabulous. Fabulous. Haleli, I can tell that you are so extremely passionate and care so much about employee development and the many benefit that it brings, not only for the individual, but for the organization that they work for. I'm curious about how you got started in this profession. Was there a particular mentor? Did you have an influencer in this area? Tell me more. (laughs) Well, you know, I, I, when I reflect on it, I've always been a person who likes to teach what I learn. Uh, even when I was a kid. And um, when when I was in college, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to do. But I used to, as a teenager, I used to teach dance. And uh, when I went to grad school, I had the opportunity to check out academia. I thought that that might be the way for me. And I had a teaching assistantship, which meant that I was a full-time instructor while also a full-time graduate student in my master's degree program. And I got a chance to design the curriculum and to do all the lectures and to do all the grading for um, a, an introduction to communication class at the University of Maryland. And that allowed me to start my career in helping develop others. And also it helped me recognize that academia was not the place. And then uh, I basically recognized after that, that there is this thing called training and development in the corporate world, in the business world, where you get to teach people that are adults and uh, that are more motivated to learn the things that you're teaching them than some of my um, under undergrad uh, freshmen and sophomore students were, they were not very motivated. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that's, that's how I started. And I, uh, I got a job as a training assistant in a small company that was growing really rapidly it was the, the first time they had a second person in their training department. And as you can imagine, in that training department, we were, I mean, we had our hands in everything and every aspect of uh, employee development in that company. And as that company grew, also I grew and uh, got m- promoted multiple times until I became the manager of that training department. I had four people reporting to me. And, um, and then I just uh, continued to develop myself within other kinds of roles as I recognized that developing leaders is my passion. I mean, that's what I really love to do and uh, looked for opportunities to do that until 11 years ago when I started my, my own company, Talent Grow. Well, it's fascinating that you not only help develop other people, but you've also continued to develop yourself. So bravo. That's really wonderful. 
we're starting to run out of time, Haleli, and I'm wondering if you had any parting thoughts for our listeners. Of course, on our episode page, we will definitely have a link to your book, Employee Development on a Shoestring, which is a fabulous title. So people don't have to worry about writing it down or are they going to remember it. It will be on the episode page for this particular show at businessconfidentialradio.com. But do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to uh, everyone who's listening, and I appreciate it, and for linking to the book. So just a note, when you read the book, it's written in a way that if you read the first chapter, that's kind of a requirement, and it has lots and lots of templates on how to do development overall with employees, how to craft a development plan, and how to choose the right method. But then there are 11 different chapters, each one on a different method, and it's not written so that you have to read it start to finish, but rather flip through and see which one attracts you or which one seems right for this person. And so everything has lots of uh, actionable checklists and templates that are created so that you can put everything into action. But um, I, I alluded to this earlier. I really suggest that leaders need to have conversations with their employees on a regular basis. And uh, in fact, if, if, if you want to, I can offer a uh, tool that I've created that is called um, the top 10 conversations every leader should have with every employee. Um, the idea is that instead of just sort of no news is good news and I'll, you'll hear from me if, you need, if I need to tell you something or if you did something wrong, um, I think that even in small companies and especially in small companies, we need to constantly have on our radar one-on-ones with every person and schedule them. My friend, Jeremy, who I spoke about earlier in his job, what he did was he created a spreadsheet, you know, and he, every Sunday night, he would fill out the spreadsheet with like when he was going to talk to each person and so on. But you don't have to have a spreadsheet. What you need to do is have an intention to connect with each person that works for you one-on-one in a private setting where your focus is to ask them one or two open-ended questions about, about their goals, about their careers, about their development, about, or, or feedback, or, you know, have one topic for that conversation. That conversation can be 10 or 15 minutes long. It doesn't have to be something very formal or convoluted. There's no forms you need to fill out because when you do that, not only are you going to help make sure that people are on the right track and feeling cared for and feeling like you care about their success, but you're going to be able to keep your finger on the pulse with everyone that works for you and have a much better chance of leading them and managing their work and keeping on top of the enormous workload that, as I know, most leaders and managers have. Those tense conversations sound really, really important. Is there a link to those that we can share with our listeners? I'd be happy to add that to the episode page as well. Yeah, absolutely. I will send that to you. Wonderful. Well, Haleli Azuli, you have an amazing name, an amazing background, and a super interesting book. I hope everybody has a chance to take a look at. I love the fact that it's got templates and checklists in the beginning that people then can customize with the other information in the following chapters where they can pick and choose like a buffet. Perfect. Just Mm -hmm. perfect. So thank you so much for your time, your insights, for having spent the time to put this book together because it is an important topic that's often overlooked, especially by the smaller organizations that really desperately need to keep their employees engaged, growing, so that their business can grow. Thank you so much. 
You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to share. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 